Welcome to the program. Our presentation today is optimizing post-operative breast reconstruction outcomes through the use of closed incision negative pressure therapy. I am Dr. Alan Gabriel. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon from Vancouver, Washington. This program is approved for one CME, one CNE, and AAPA credit. You can download the PDF of the presentation under the Event Resources tab on the left side of your screen under the headshot. You will also be redirected back to the landing page after the webcast to complete the post-test and evaluation. You can then download or print your certificate. The program is provided by North America Center for Continuing Medical Education, an HMP company, as well as this program is supported by an educational grant from KCI USA. Learning objectives are listed here, and we're going to be evaluating the data surrounding the closed incisional management therapy, as well as understanding why this particular therapy is so beneficial in breast surgery. And we're going to take you through the evolution of how we got to this point. We're truly raising the bar in breast surgery. We've come a long ways in the types of reconstruction and type of mastectomies that are being performed, from a nipple-sparing mastectomy now in plant-based reconstructions, we're able to achieve optimal results and aesthetically pleasing breasts. We've come a long way from the past of being presented with different types of mastectomies and more radical mastectomies with no regard to the aesthetic principles of breast surgery. And we've been able now to work closely with our breast surgeons by evaluating the patient understanding what we need to do preoperatively as a team approach and identifying the surgical technique that's going to be most beneficial for the patient. The incision options are shown in this particular slide and it's really exciting because you can actually talk with, speak with your breast surgeon and understand what areas we're going to be addressing, what type of incision should we be choosing while in the while we keep the oncological principles as the first uh, criteria, followed by the aesthetic principles for breast surgery. The process of device-based reconstruction starts with the technique we just described as a team approach, and as decisions are made, whether we're going to place the implant in a prepectoral or in a dual-plane subpectoral location. Next, the devices are chosen, whether an expander or an implant, and lastly, a soft tissue support, whether bioabsorbable mesh, latissimus flap, or even ADMs are utilized. For example, in this 38-year-old patient who's BRCA positive, she desired to have a two-stage reconstruction because she was unsure of her size. Following bidimensional principles with a base width of 13 centimeter, team approach to the technique was utilized. A prepectoral reconstruction was performed in this patient with an expander that's slightly narrower than the final implant size, in this case a full height expander of 12 centimeters. The patient was then taken to the operating room, and in this video you can see during the second stage the incorporation of the products that were utilized during the first stage of the reconstruction. It is exciting to see that what has been done during the first stage has also completely revascularized during the second stage as seen here. Following the expander removal, the implant is placed with betadine soak with a no-touch technique, and this is utilized to ensure that there's minimal contamination 
uh, around the peri-implant pocket. In addition, fat grafting is performed in patients that are in need of additional cells and additional soft tissue thickness, and this is done at times during the second stage or uh, third stage of the reconstruction. And you can see the difference in this patient with the prepectoral reconstruction. In this patient with the prepectoral reconstruction, this is a patient now with a round, smooth, form-stable implant of 450 cc's and fat grafting times one at 12 months following her reconstruction. All these terms, all these concepts were brought together and revolutionized by Dr. Patrick Maxwell as the bioengineered concept. This particular concept involves form-stable implants, ADMs, as well as cells. Implants are varying cohesive devices, regenerators that can vascularize and support the implant pocket, and the cells that further enhance the soft tissue as well as the aesthetic look of the breast. When mastectomy is performed, sometimes uh, skin is also removed. And when skin is removed, the, condition, the goal is to replace like tissue with like, and that's why cells are utilized, biologics are utilized to further support the implant pocket because our goal is to address all layers and replace like tissue with like. Unfortunately, not all reconstructions are as successful as you see in this particular picture with possible implant exposure and loss of implant in this particular patient. As you see in this particular uh, video, this patient also is failing her reconstruction with an infection and the video right next to it where you see tremendous amount of purulent material that is being expressed directly from her implant pocket. Unfortunately, our cases are becoming more and more complicated, and we're seeing more complicated cases that we have to actually address and perform our surgeries as the patients continue to request and demand. Hospital infections are now costing the billions of dollars per year. The top five drivers of the cost, when you actually break it down, is surgical site infections is number one, followed by ventilator-associated pneumonia, and central line associated bloodstream infection. So these are, and you look at it, these are your top three drivers for uh, cost when it comes to hospital associated infections. 21.8% of a hospital acquired infections are all surgical site infection, and the economic impact for this is tremendous. And the cost keeps uh, being driven higher, and yet we don't necessarily have all the answers to contain this cost that continues to rise. The standard of care all these years for managing the incisions has been this passive therapy of using a dry moistened gauze with ABD pads or Steri-Strips or, or Dermabond or a combination of all. When we're covering the incision with gauze or tape, how many layers of gauze do we usually use? One or two? Maybe three but I don't think any of us use more, any more than that. So do we really think this incision is protect, protected and is it really sterile? How many layers of gauze are really required to protect the incision from bacteria? Well, an in vitro study demonstrated that bacteria can pass even through 64 layers of dry gauze. So when you actually uh, see a moistened gauze, it's even less effective of a barrier to bacteria. So now we're dealing with an area that can have potential contamination from the outside world directly to the incision or through the incision, and depending what's in, 
behind that incision, it can be problematic. Parameters for defining high-risk patients have been really sorted out, and obesity with a BMI greater than 30 due to the poor circulation of the fat globules has always been uh, discussed and mentioned and well-studied. Diabetes, as long as it's controlled, is still a high-risk patient. However, a poorly controlled diabetes is even of a worst of a candidate for any type of elective surgical procedure, given the fact that the A1C can, uh, any A1C more than 7.5% can actually have deleterious effects to healing. History of smoking, we all know what smoking can cause with the collapse of the microcirculation and really immunosuppression with the medications that are being utilized now with the advances in medicine and, and tremendous amount of immunosuppressive medications that are on the market can have deleterious effects to our healing. Malnutrition, well-studied, neutropenia, preeclampsia, all have negative effects to wound healing uh, in, in patients. So optimizing these patients is our most important factor prior to any type of surgery. And even the protocols that we utilize for lowering the risk that have been published guidelines by the CDC and the NIH that includes the preoperative hair removal clippers, uh, the IV antibiotics that are utilized in the perioperative period, the antiseptic techniques that are utilized, our surgical techniques have even improved, pre- and post-operative glycemic control is crucial, and most importantly also keeping the patient warm. All those factors over the years have evolved, and that's what we utilize now. However, the risk still remains high. Despite all these advances, surgical site occurrences and infections and occur, we all have had them, we experience them, unfortunately, and we do everything we can to learn from them and move forward in our patients. Goals of wound treatment are clear. We need to create an environment that's conducive to normal healing. So the immune system has to be able to mount an immune response. And of course, the medical problems have to be addressed and treated. So all the comorbidities that we were mentioning that have to be optimized to allow for the wound healing cycle to continue to normal healing. Unfortunately, however, there are impediments to healing, edema, infection or colonization, paucity of tissue, previous scar or trauma, all of which can minimize the blood flow to the area and really lead the wound to a very hypoxic state. Hypoxia leads to the deleterious effects in healing that we see given the fact that there is no blood flow that is reaching the areas of healing that need to uh, allow the patient to heal. When we look at the original studies from Marquas, the negative pressure wound therapy studies show that fourfold increase in blood flow as compared to baseline, as you see on the left side. And when we, this was compared to 400 millimeters of mercury, uh, there was a negative impact of blood flow. So increasing the blood flow of negative pressure fourfold was exciting to see, and that really has evolved and utilized over the years, and we continue to see that in our wound cases, and now we're utilizing the same principles in incisional management. Can improve blood flow really uh, around the incisions and minimize our complications in these high-risk patients? That is, I think, one of the biggest questions. Well, one of the studies that we did back in 2008 was follow 15 consecutive patients and uh, all the incisions were closed and applied with granulifoam silver and negative pressure device was connected 125 millimeters of mercury in continuous mode and continued for three to five days. 
The inclusion criteria for this particular study included minimum of three risk factors that included BMI greater than 35, uncontrolled diabetes, peripheral vascular disease, smoking, history of radiation, patient was on steroids, or malnourished measured by albumin and pre-albumin. So these are really the high-risk patients that we were trying to understand if improving the blood flow would help. All these patients completed their treatment successfully. Surgical incisions range from abdominal, chest, and lower extremity incisions. Two patients developed summer aromas requiring the in-office aspirations, which all resolved with untoward sequelae, and there were no returns to the operating room and no wound breakdowns, and there were really no other complications seen. This is one of the patients after a large paniculectomy that was performed in this patient and post six months following her uh, healing. And it was exciting really to see that all these patients were doing well, and yes, maybe the blood flow around the area was helping us heal these wounds. Well, the incisional management system or therapy provides the surgical incisions that manage by delivering this 125 millimeters of mercury. The porcine incisions that were studied, as shown in this slide, three to five days of the closed incisional therapy that was utilized as compared to control, which there was no negative pressure utilized, the incisional strength was approximately six to tenfold greater at three days with the incisional therapy as compared to the control group. And you can see the incision at five days and also both in the control as well as the closed incisional management therapy. The important thing here is to really notice that the healing potential that has taken place in five days on the bottom picture where the negative pressure was applied as compared to the upper picture where you can still see some edema present with around the peri-wound area. ICG angiography case study that was uh, presented in, Mer uh, in 2014 by Dr. Singh showed an intraoperative picture of the complex abdominal wall reconstruction. Uh, you can see the perfusion that is present intra-op and then post-op day five with the application of closed incisional uh, therapy device. And you can see the tremendous amount of blood flow that is now surrounding the peri-incision area. And this is one of the uh, most exciting things to visually see how well this device is performing uh, when over an entire wound. When you look at specifically this particular case, this is a complex case of a 65-year-old female with recurrent breast cancer history of radiation that is in need of an on-block resection. These are complicated cases, complex irradiated field. This particular patient underwent in the on-block resection. You can see that the defect that is present here on this left ch uh, chest wall. This particular patient required an aggressive uh, coverage and a large latissimus flap that was needed to cover this large defect that was present. This patient needed additional uh, therapy, therefore healing this patient was utmost important for us to get her to the next stage of her uh, treatment phase. However, at time of closure, you can see the tremendous amount of tension that there is, it's present now at the peri-wound area. You can see the blanching. You can also see the wounds are barely held with um, heavy nylons as well as staples. At this point, and from what we know from our experience with the uh, negative pressure therapy, the decision was made to move forward 
with adding negative pressure directly to this incision. And this was one of our early cases while we were still understanding how this therapy was working. So tight closure equals hypoxia. We just discussed what hypoxia can do to wounds uh, as well as incisions. So therefore, a 20-centimeter peel in place was directly applied over the area, and the patient was brought back for removal on post-op day 7. You can see the imprint of the device that was present, and you can see the healing that has taken place. There's a scab around the heavy nylon sutures that are present. Those were removed. The JP drains that are present, they were away from the area of uh, placement. Uh, it's important to make sure that the JP drains are always uh, far away from the area where the device is going to be placed. When you see the patient that follow up post-op day 24, you can see everything is healed, the sutures are removed, staples are removed, and the patient moved on to her, ne her next stage of treatment, which was adjuvant chemotherapy in this case. This is a case that really led us to think of, of negative pressure use in breast surgery. It's a 52-year-old male that presented 12 months post-distal tibial open reduction in tone fixation with an infection of, her, of his hardware. He is also post-medial removal hardware at this point with the, everything that's been removed. And patient at the same time, six months ago, had a lateral hardware removal with an infection that additional flap coverage was needed. Now, with this patient, preparing this patient for surgery would be utilizing the irrigating negative pressure device and planning for coverage. This patient has a one-vessel inflow, has, is a smoker, diabetic, and really has no additional uh, tissue that we can utilize except for what is present there. So we took the patient to the operating room, tried to make it as simple as possible by a rotational flap and covering the donor side with bilaminate skin substitutes. However, you can see the failing flap that's present there. Knowing that this patient did not have too many other options in one vessel inflow, the decision was made at this point to cover it and have an opportunity to discuss with colleagues and return for uh, another planned operation. You can see the cover included the uh, negative pressure incisional device as well as a regular granite foam over the donor side. This was continued for seven days, and when the patient was brought back to the operating room for an official debridement, the thought here was really the patient needed another debridement. There's no way this flap would be alive. I thought for sure we would be debriding this case. You can see the JP drain that was sitting under the flap. At time of removal, seven days post device removal in the operating room, you can see the entire flap is viable. Well, this as may come the surprise to all of you, as did to me, how come was, was this flap really viable? What happened here that this flap survived? I was ready to debrief this patient, as you see, we're in the operating room. So if something was working that well, I really at this point no good answers except for excitement. So the patient was covered again with the same principle and protocol and sent home with an outpatient negative pressure device and followed up again in 14 days and you can see the flap has continued to do well at this time. Sutures were removed. Patient underwent an uncomplicated course with split thickness skin grafting. You can see it's six weeks post-op followed by 12 months post-op completely healed and active on a very complex patient with one vessel inflow. This is what re really helped us understand what was happening at the flap level, maybe at the surface level, that we can maybe now apply this 
in our breast reconstruction patients. So why is this problem so complicated in breast cases? When you think about it, breast ca uh, cases have devices in place, both ADMs, bioabsorbable meshes, uh, implants or expanders, and we have tremendous amount of incisions. We have a lot of dead space that is present. So there's a tremendous amount of already triggers that can lead to major complications. So when we go back to the process of device-based reconstruction, as we discuss the technique, device, and the soft tissue support, I think one thing we need to add to complete this device-based process is the incision management. The incision management is as critical as the technique, device, and soft tissue support selection because this is what will finalize our device-based reconstruction. When you look at compromised mastectomy flaps, well, it could be due to inherent comorbidities or could be iatrogenic risk factors, both of which will make the reconstruction at risk for seroma formation and incisional contamination. And this will eventually lead to some infection or reconstructive failure in a particular patient. Specifically, when you look at prepectoral reconstruction, you have a mastectomy flap that is directly above your device. And in this case, could be, again, a biologic bioabsorbable mesh or just a device without any of the products. Still, we're dealing with lack of coverage for this particular reconstruction. In this video, in a prepectoral reconstruction, you can see the, with the ICG angiography, the amount of blood flow or, that is present or the lack of blood flow to the area that we are concerned about. So this area, then, is treated with a negative pressure incision management device, so we're able to then further enhance the healing and further enhance the healing. Would you take a chance on this particular incision without any coverage to enhance the healing potential or rather enhance the blood flow? Many people have always asked when we started using the, uh, the negative pressure incision management device, how does that fit in our practice? We reported on this on our in initial experience. It was myself, Dr. Sigalov, and Dr. Maxwell that sat down and started thinking about incisions that are at risk for surgical complications. And what are those incisions? Well, it could be the incision that has a tremendous amount of undermining and be a, develop a seroma that will fill the reconstruction or the closure, or you can just be a simple dehiscence. When you're looking specifically at seroma formation, large undermining, high BMI, use of biologics and synthetics will generally put the incision at risk for breakdown due to seroma formation. When we look at specifically at dehiscence, tight closures or, or compromised flap can lead to dehiscence as well as repeated incisions through the same scar and risk factors such as di uncontrolled diabetes, high BMI, smoker history of radiation, soiling and immunosuppression. Those are some of the things that we believe that have the potential to in increase our risks for the incisions to lead to surgical complications. And then when we really think about it, where does this really fit in our breast practice? Well, everything we just reviewed also fits in our breast practice. Doesn't ha doesn't have to be only related to non-breast procedures. All these important points that are mentioned under seroma formations and dehiscence can be related to a device-based reconstruction that can have complications.
We started utilizing negative pressure incision management device. Our first experience that we reported along where to use this device in patients, we, we looked at 13 consecutive patients. You see the comorbidities that are listed here, the, uh, as well as the average BMI. But one of the most important things that we saw was the, the number of days uh, that the drain was in this patient. The, uh, and you can see the amount of days that the negative pressure was on was three to five days. And then the average number of days with drains were anywhere from six to 12. That was a lot less in, as we had seen uh, historically in our reconstruction patients. So that, might us, that made us think there's something going on in, the, in these patients with the device that we're utilizing that we're seeing less drain output in all of these patients. Now we can see that incisional management device really improved our drain output. That uh, was compared to our historical controls. However, were we able to salvage flaps at this point? And these are some images from ICG angiography, and we really started following this and capturing them intraoperatively and comparing them to what we were seeing postoperatively. Here's a patient that we're planning for a skin-reducing mastectomy and immediate prepectoral reconstruction. This is a patient at post-op day seven with removal of the negative pressure incisional management device. And if, when we compare it to the ICG angiography images from the operating room, you can see the healthy flaps that are present at post-op day seven. These areas are marked in the operating room and covered with the negative pressure incision management device. So we're able now to see directly in the clinic how these flaps are doing following removal of the device. And when you look at a contralateral breast, you can also see that there's healthy flaps that are present at time of the device removal. And this is the patient showing both sides of the breast on post-op day seven. When we take another patient, a high-risk patient, high BMI patient, 47-year-old, under planning to undergo skin sparing mastectomy with immediate reconstruction and prepectoral space, this is what the ICG angiography showed. This is pretty, this is pretty scary when you see it in the operating room, and now the area is being marked and uh, we're hoping at this time we can salvage it. I, what, I do believe that we can salvage some of these flaps that are questionably compromised. However, once there's a completely compromised flap, it's hard to say if they're salvageable, but these flaps are getting some blood flow and there are small areas that need to be addressed. You can see in videos, both on the left and right side, we have compromised flaps that need to be addressed. You can see the pen now that is completely marking out the area so we can then follow this clinically in our uh, clinic following the removal. This is our post-op day seven. You can see the large area that was marked on both sides. You can see still there is some area of healing that has to take place, but it is very impressive on how nicely this flap has been salvaged. This is the left breast and this is our post-op day 21. You can see the nice healing that has taken place with no additional treatment in this particular patient. Another patient, a 59-year-old with right stage uh, breast cancer undergoing uh, skin sparing mastectomy. This is her ICG angiography immediately following the skin reducing mastectomy and expander placement. And you, once again, you see there's some areas of concern that we have. These areas are gonna be watched 
closely and also marked and covered with the negative pressure incisional management device. This is an area that, as you can see, again, is being marked with the pen so we can follow it clinically. This is a patient now in post-op day seven at time of removal. You can see that this area has is completely um, survived and there's good healing that has taken place in this particular patient. And this is really what got us excited to keep pushing the envelope more and asking for larger coverage of these mastectomy flaps because we know the flaps that are uh, compromised can survive in some of these conditions. And this is a patient that you can see both right and left side. So the incision management system is really delivering the continuous negative pressure for up to seven days in this case. Um, and it's helping hold the incisions together. But one of the important things that is uh, worth mentioning is it's acting as a barrier to external infectious sources. And that's important because when we start talking about the nipple sparing mastectomies, we have to start thinking about what is communicating through that nipple. And this is our early experience with the Provenas that you see here on both sides. This is before the white connector was available. And you can see that the nipples were not covered. However, when we look at what nipple uh, ducts can do is the nipple really communicates with the outside world. You're looking at a post-mastectomy reconstruction and really what's underneath that nipple is gonna be the ADM, the mesh, or the device that you have placed. So we have to be extremely careful on how we are managing these patients. Here's an example of a healthy breast, and you can see that there is no subcutaneous tissue under that nipple. And when the nipple is completely cored, there is really no protection from what's laying underneath that uh, mastectomy skin with the nipple that's intact. So there's really true uh, outside communication between the nipple and the devices that are present within the pocket. So nipple sparing mastectomy following immediate reconstruction, covering the nipple becomes really crucial. And there's always concern about surgeons wanting to cover the nipple. But in my opinion, that's one of the most important parts, especially when it comes to prepectoral reconstruction. We've been doing it for several years when we have not had any issues. If anything, we feel more comfortable that these patients are being protected. Minimizing outside contamination to ADM through the remaining ducts, really important. And if we only have a small uh, negative pressure device, such as a 13 centimeter one, then we're only covering the nipple instead of the incision. That becomes really important to us. That's, I think, is more critical than covering the incision in these particular patients. We then looked at the impact of closed incision negative pressure therapy on postoperative breast reconstruction outcomes. And we really looked at that based on what we were seeing in our own patients. And we decided to perform a retrospective observational study. And it was 356 total patients with 666 closed breast incisions. When you divided them up, we had Provena group as well as the standard of care group. And the complication, um, I'm sorry, and any complications in these patients was lower in the group that was treated with Provena therapy as compared to the standard, uh, standard of care dressings. When we look at maximum drain days, and which was one of our earliest observations, you can see that there was a significant decrease in the Provena group as compared to the standard of care group. Bringing back again 
that few days of having drained in these reconstructions is beneficial to our patients while utilizing the uh, negative pressure incision management device. Then Dr. Singh and I performed a meta-analysis looking specifically at the comparative trials using a single-use uh, closed incision negative pressure therapy. And the meta-analysis uh, included 11 Prevena RCTs totaling 791 patients, which showed control patients were over 2.5 times more likely to get a surgical infection. So that was pretty eye-opening when you're uh, looking at these, all these different studies that are present and you are showing that by using the device, we can hopefully minimize surgical site infections in, in these patients. We also performed an economic analysis based on a hypothetical cost model that has been validated utilizing the breadth data that was shown earlier and the total cost savings in this particular group in the, in the Provena group was approximately $218. That's given the amount of complications that the patients can have in the standard of care group versus the Provena group. When you put all of this information together, and you look at all the challenges and the management of surgical site occurrences and what we're facing, uh, Dr. Gupta and Orgel and I have a nice summary here presented to you, and this has been published in the supplement of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal back in January of 2019. It's very simple for you to go and obtain it. All these articles we were mentioning are gonna be available to you. You can go directly to articles and issues, look for supplements, and then look specifically for the January 2019 supplement that is listed here. Most, of, most importantly, this is free to all of you, so you're able to download and, and also read all of the articles, and there are numerous articles that I didn't even mention in that particular journal. One of the precautions that you, by utilization of this device is important for us to know that this is used only in class one and class two wounds, so these are clean, and, uh, clean contaminated wounds. And most recently, the FDA has granted a new indication for Provena therapy, and what does this really mean for these high-risk patients? One buzz around this device was that it had received a de novo request. And what a de novo request includes is that the pathway is used for the review of novel low to moderate risk devices for which there is no existing predicate to use in determination of substantial equivalence. And what does this all mean? means that it establishes a new device along with classification, regulation, and necessary controls and the product code. And this device specifically is going to be eligible now to serve as a predicate for new medical devices wherever appropriate. So everything moving forward will be compared to this particular device. So it's exciting because based on the data, based on the information that's been presented, the FDA has also seen that this is an important area and this device is definitely eligible as serve as a predicate. They also changed the FDA classification. And by changing the FDA classification, what does this really mean to us? Or what, what is it that brought all of this together? Now the FDA classification includes, for the first time ever, for a device that aids in reducing incidence of seroma and also incidence of superficial surgical site infection, class one and class two wounds. There's no current device that ha has this particular classification given by the FDA. 
But when you think about where does this fit in my practice, as we discussed, it's really exciting for us to see how far we've come and where we are by managing some of these complicated patients. Here we have a 39-year-old with right breast cancer, uh, BMI of 62. Patient's hemoglobin A1C is 5.6. Generally, when we're looking at these patients, a team approach, we evaluate all the comorbidities and we look at how we're going to plan this operation with our breast surgeon. If this patient's hemoglobin A1C was greater than 7.5, this patient would not have reconstruction until she's optimized to have the particular surgery. So would we offer reconstruction at all for this patient? If she has no other comorbidities as, a state, as stated, why shouldn't we not offer a reconstruction to this particular patient? This is an intraoperative view of the patient. You can see the large breasts that are present in the picture. This is her following this uh, immediate reconstruction. The mastectomy with expanders are in place. The expanders in place are, are 600cc full height expanders. This we're planning a second stage reconstruction would include an, more of an extra profile implant that will satisfy the projection and desire of the patient, as well as lateral chest wall liposuction to improve the contour. When you look at this particular patient, this, the main complication that this patient had was a yeast infection on the remaining subcutaneous tissue on the lateral chest wall. And, she, and that's the area that we had to treat for some period of time for her to heal. This is her following the skin sparing mastectomy with the implant reconstruction 750 cc's. You can see the liposuction that's been performed on the site as well. And this is her following nipple aerial complex tattooing. So she, she has also, in this process, lost weight because now she's excited about her future outcome and how far she has come with her reconstruction. And it's always worth working with these patients and trying to get them to a point where they're going to continue to do well in their life and, it, and as well as uh, medically. So why should incisional management be used in all these breast reconstruction patients? Well, losing a reconstruction, expander or implants, is more costly than a surgical site infection. We have seen surgical site infections. You can see what complications can occur. And really, the physiologic toll, emotional toll, are really more complex reconstructions in the future is what makes everything so complicated. Achieving the best aesthetic results are going to be diminished if we lose these reconstructions. So really, would you invest to ensure against developing any of these issues? I think one of the important points going to be here is we do all this work, we do all these device-based reconstruction, or we do all a major surgery, and the last thing that we have to do is really cover the incision to ensure the best outcome for our patients. Because the best chance to create a breast shape is really during the mastectomy and during the immediate reconstruction, we're able to offer the patients the best surgical outcome. And the process of device-based reconstruction, as we described earlier, includes the techniques of both type of mastectomy, where is the device placed, what type of devices have been chosen, what type of soft tissue support, which includes bioabsorbable mesh, a flap, or an ADM that's utilized, and lastly, the incisional management where leads to protecting our investment in covering our incisions and now also covering the entire breast pocket, breast flap, 
which makes it even more exciting because now we're managing more of the reconstruction than just the incision or maybe the nipple alone. The breast reconstruction has undergone a recent evolution and we've gone from a total muscle coverage to partial muscle without any soft tissue support to muscle and ADM at dual, pla in dual plane reconstructions and lastly to prepectoral reconstruction. Incisional management has gone, undergone a similar evolution to soft tissue management. We've had gauze to tape, glue and mesh, and lastly incision management, and now we're doing incision management as well as surrounding soft tissue management. And this is an example of a patient on the table, nipple sparing mastectomy, where the, the Provena incisional management device is being currently applied. This is the larger device for soft tissue management and all these areas are being covered. You can see the drains have to be further away from the tegaderm that's being placed to ensure that we have a good seal. A white connector then is utilized and leaks are checked to make sure that the device is actually under appropriate suction. As you see in this particular video, the device with the white connector was connected to white suction. You want to kink both tubings to make sure there is adequate suction, adequate seal, followed by detaching it from the wall suction and then connecting it to the tubing directly over Provena Plus. Then the device is activated, both kinking tubes are released, and it's, we've, we're checking one more time for leaks surrounding the area. It's very important that a wall suction is utilized to make sure that all the micro leaks have been addressed prior to connecting to the Provena device prior to connecting to the Provena device. This is a patient in clinic with just a bra that's been placed. We like to use the prairie bras. They have good lateral, good lateral compression. Patients are comfortable. And patients have repeatedly said now that they feel more supported with the larger Provena devices that are present on their chest. And also, some patients have commented that emotionally they feel more comfortable because they, most patients are not ready to see what has happened to their chest. It gives them a week to two weeks to decide whether they're gonna be looking at their chest uh, while the entire time the breast mound is completely covered. So this gives the patient a great opportunity to recover, to understand what has happened so they can be ready for the emotional aspect of unveiling of their breast. Many of these patients that are faced with a mastectomy are not thinking how their breast is gonna look, let alone thinking about the size of their breast. So while they're undergoing treatment and recovery during the first week to two weeks, covering these completely has given them a more positive aspect of the process given the fact that they've had their pathology by the time this device is removed and they have now a treatment plan in place and they're more comfortable in seeing what has happened during their surgery. So there was an interesting finding that we were not expecting to hear from our patients regarding this emotional aspect of having the entire breast mount covered for one to two weeks. So the tips and tricks for placing this particular uh, device includes, it's easier if two uh, people are working together to place it, especially on the breast mount, 
the, uh, the device is placed, and then as soon as there's some sealed present, it's connected to the well suction immediately. This allows for the sponge to directly collapse and be able to add additional tegaderms around the dressing. Once one side is completed, the white connector is placed, and then the other side, the dressing is placed in a similar fashion. A second suction can be utilized here, or it can just be directly connected to the white connector. Then everything is connected to wall suction, double checking by kinking the tubing, making sure that there are no leaks present. If there are leaks present and there is elevation of the sponge, then additional tegaderms are applied to ensure that there is no leak. Once this has been confirmed, then it's, the kinks in the tubes remain, the device is disconnected from the wall suction and connected directly to the Provena Plus and the machine is activated. Once the machine is activated, the tank tubings are let go and we're confirming again appropriate placement and the appropriate seal of the dressings. Once these are confirmed, then we're comfortable by placing the uh, bra directly over the area. Since we started using the uh, bra with the closed incision management device, we no longer use toffee foam. In our earlier presentations, you may have heard that we use a great deal of toffee foam there, so there's a cost savings on not utilizing it, so and the patients have liked it and they've been very comfortable. The incisional management systems uh, can be beneficial in uh, both immediately and long-term, and these are the reasons that we believe in, that there's an immediate impact in protection of the incision as to external contamination, and we have no problems covering the uh, nipples following a nipple sparing mastectomy. There's thought that the decreased lateral tension is present. We have good increased oppositional strength and we've really normalized the stress distribution around the entire breast mound. The intermediate term impact is going to be the decreased edema and hopefully decreased seroma that we're seeing, and as well as increase in lymphatic involvement, even though there's no evidence yet, but there's a chance that we're seeing an improved lymphatic involvement in these patients, because it will make sense with the negative pressure that's being applied over the entire breast mount all the way into the axilla. Long-term impact is yet to be determined. Is mechanical strength any better? Is there different types of gene expressions that we can study to further understand where the incision is gonna be uh, at seven days as compared to 14 days if the additional in, uh, negative pressure is applied. It's also important to understand that these devices can be used in aesthetic patients following a mastopexy as well as in breast re reductions in addition to patients who are undergoing oncoplastic uh, reconstructions following a level two lumpectomy. Those patients can also be complex. Those patients can also have compromised healing due to the uh, underlying risk factors that are associated with any time a cancer diagnosis is given, as well as most patients are not having elective surgery at that time. They've been brought to the operating room because they need to have the cancer addressed. Having covering the nipple area complexes in these lumpectomies can lead to additional uh, healing as well as hopefully salvage of some of them if there is decreased blood flow to the area. With the current healthcare environment, it's really become a balancing act between the quality care that we're providing as physicians and cutting costs. We're constantly under the microscope by large facilities 
for us to cut costs and use less devices, use less uh, costly materials, and for us to be able to be part of the cost-cutting uh, journey. While we are planning, while all physicians are working on cutting costs, minimizing complications, and reoperations are going to be still the most important areas that we need to address. How can we improve the quality of care that we're offering by reducing the costs and we're expanding access? These are some of the challenges that we're all facing, and one of the important factors is going to be for us to be uh, conscious about the evidence that's available to us and how we can move forward in the current healthcare environment to treat our patients. In conclusion, the improved surgical outcomes in the high-risk group of patients can be achieved with negative pressure incision management device when well-planned and executed operation procedures are carried out based on sound surgical principles. I think it's extremely important for us to keep in mind that these devices are not miracle devices if there's an area that is completely avascular, no, no amount of negative pressure will bring that flap or that area back to life. So it's important that our sound surgical principles are still utilized and we're addressing specifically all the different areas and also selecting patients carefully. You will now be redirected to the landing page to complete the post-test and evaluation, you can then download or print your certificate. Thank you again for participating in this program.